What up and welcome in film fans. This is the SDFP, the second day film podcast. Back with you for our sixth episode. It is Wednesday, the 11th of April. We're happy you're listening in. Uh, we've had a couple weeks off, uh, but with the gang's back together. I got Sam, the popcorn correspondent with me. How you doing? What's going on, Dean? Doing good. Champ, welcome back. So Champ, uh, on vacation uh, last week, that's why we took a week off, and got some big congratulations in order for uh, the founder of the SDFP, went to Florida, proposed to your girlfriend, she said yes, so you're engaged, man. Congratulations. Uh, let's, let's, let's hear a little bit about how this went down. Oh, okay. Well, if people really, I'm not sure they really care, but, you know, I'll just give a little brief rundown. We're at the Magic Kingdom, uh, you know, hanging out around the castle, of course, um, had some family down there. There's a, Cinderella has a wishing well that sort of just to the right of uh, Cinderella's castle. Um, so sort of brought Carolyn over there after uh, a couple, um, you know, hours in the park and sort of laid some lines on her about making a wish. Uh, oh! So, so on and so forth. Um, and then uh, after that, like this, the smooth feller that I am, I, uh, I said something like, well, I got to make sure this thing works. And so I got down on one knee and uh, amazingly she said yes. And the whole family was there to, awesome. to clap. And my parents made the, a surprise trip down. So they were there. But oh, so it, that was a surprise family trip affair. from yeah. them. Yeah, wow. it, was, it was an all around great day. And, uh, you know, obviously I, I love doing this podcast and being with you guys. But uh, if I have to miss a week, that's a pretty good reason for it. So, uh, Absolutely. yeah, I'm off the market. Sorry, ladies. You're going to have to find someone else. <laughs> well, congratulations, <laughs> man. We're uh, we're. At- Super stoked for you. That's huge news. And uh, if my wife's reaction to the photos and where you propose is any indication of everybody else's, uh, you picked a good spot, man. I mean, it doesn't get any better than the Magic Kingdom. Come on. Mm-hmm. Especially for us film fans, right? right? Of course. Disney right at the heart of the uh, film universe. That's so. right. All right, guys. Well, we've got a huge show to get to today. Before we run down that, got a lot of ways to connect with us. We've got Facebook, Second Day Film Podcast, Twitter, at Second Day Film. Got the email, right, Champ? Yep. Uh, secondayfilm at gmail.com. We're on SoundCloud at Second Day Film Podcast. We're on iTunes. Just go ahead and search Second Day Film Podcast. And please uh, give us a review or a rating. Subscribe. Um, all that's super important for us to sort yeah. of uh, up our exposure. Shout out to JJ uh, Morris, who I saw gave us a, a good review. We need more of that. Um, we really appreciate that. Interaction uh, is key. Right. And yeah. our website is also www.secondayfilm.com. Uh, com. So uh, all sorts of ways to kind of connect with us and talk movies. Yeah, we uh, we usually want to try to post a poll to let you guys pick what we're seeing. This week, we just had to see the latest hit release because there's been so much buzz. Ready Player One, the sci-fi action adventure. That's our featured review. We're going to get to that later in the show. But before that, we'll do Who's Watching What. It's been a few weeks since we've done this, so we want to run down what we're taking in. And then Throwback Theater. Last time we did this, it was about a month ago, and we talked about movies from the year 2008. We went back 10 years. This time we're going back 20 years, digging back to 1998. And these are films when we were really just kids, elementary school kids. You're starting so to age me, Dean. You're I starting know, to age I know. me. But there were some really good movies, and some movies you will sure, for sure recognize, even if you're in your 20s like us. You guys ready? Let's do it. All right, first up, who's watching what? This one's self-explanatory, talking about uh, what we've been taking in in the world of not just film, but TV as well. Uh, so, Sam, let's start with you, man. What you've been, what you've been tuned into lately? Um, most of my series of shows have actually come to a 
an abrupt end, except for Unsolved, so I'm not going to spoil that one because it's coming down to the nitty-gritty. Um, but what I've watched recently is I caught up with my Pixar roots there, and I watched Coco. Um, very good film. Um, obviously, we talked about Pixar. I believe it was the week before you went on vacation, champ. But um, the one I really wanted to talk about was my friend Dahmer. I watched that um, for the first time. and Oh, that's I've, a sharp turn from Coco. <laughs> well, yeah, so it was... It was uh, I should say I watched my friend Dahmer first, okay. and then Coco, so I could sleep at night. There you go. <laughs> so that's that's really how the the whole uh, movie watching went down. But uh, my friend Dahmer, obviously Jeffrey Dahmer, um, serial killer, um, lured young boys and even some kids his age, and killed you know many, unfortunately. Um, but it was kind of like the story of his like upbringing, like his childhood, um, how he was like portrayed and um, going through high school meeting friends and how he kind of secluded himself from everyone um didn't really you know venture out too much into like making friends yeah he kind of let the friends come to him so it's kind of a good little backstory on a serial killer um that everyone's pretty much aware of if you're not he's worth a google but you're probably not going to like what you read um very good flick if you're if you're into that kind of thing when was this? Do you know when this came out? Is this new? Mm -hmm. um, Where did you see yeah. it? Yeah, it's relatively new. I, yeah. My friend Dahmer came out last year. It was yeah, pretty yeah. popular on uh, some of the film uh, festival circuits. Yeah, it's sort of yeah, an underground yeah. movie that you probably wouldn't have heard of unless you were yeah, sort of seeking of it. it out. Um, but I do remember it getting quite a bit of buzz. Yeah. Okay, well, all with, right. With my, you know, criminal and serial killer tendencies of movies and movies. shows. <laughs> I, uh, movies and shows <laughs> once again let me save sam and tell him that he has tendencies in liking to watch movies about Thank serial you. killers Thank and you. criminals he does not have them himself so much, so much better so much better to clear well worded out. well worded all right what about you champ uh you uh you also saw coco recently yeah i'm, I'm uh, going with the disney theme last week uh so actually the first movie i watched i had my red envelope that had uh coco in it they still do that <laughs> yeah this is obviously the <laughs> pixar film from 2017 uh directed by lee unkrich who also uh was the man behind toy story 3 which i said uh last week is my favorite pixar film ever uh, this this film recently took home the Best Animated Feature Award and uh, Best Original Song for Remember yeah. Me. Uh, this movie is yet another Pixar masterpiece, in my opinion. Um, masterpiece? Yeah, That's high I, praise. I, I honestly think it's probably in my top five. Wow. Um, I, I think it's even more impressive because... It's another original story. It's not an established franchise uh, like Toy Story or Cars or Finding yep. Nemo. Um, I, I really love this movie a lot. It's got these stunning, vibrant colors that make uh, the unique uh, Land of the Dead, uh, where the story takes place, really come alive. Right. It's a super fun adventure that you go on. Um, at the center of this, it's a, it's a heartfelt film about sort of family and the responsibility that families have to keep the memories of their ancestors alive. Um, and I just think that's such an underappreciated concept because, you know, unless you're like a famous athlete or movie star or something like that, you know, most likely the only people who are going to remember your accomplishments and your contributions or even, you know, the way that you told a story or sang a song is your immediate family, especially when you get many generations away. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be something big, but the idea that families sort of need to pass right. on who a person was to keep their their family alive is, is such an important message, I think. Uh, this movie has wonderful music in it, obviously, Remember Me. Evan, you weren't a huge fan of the performance at the Oscars, but the song Remember Me in the movie itself works amazing. Yep. I mean, I, I was literally dancing around in my living room <laughs> after the credits played. Yeah. It's, it's probably Pixar's most musical film yet. Um, it, most of, you know, it, it really channels some of, like, the spirit of 
some of the classic Disney musicals that we grew up with, you know, Lion oh, King yeah. and Aladdin and There's Little Mermaid. There's a ton of music in, mm -hmm. in the old, you know, traditional animation. Right, Disney. and this one sort of kind of tries to gather some of that, which Pixar, obviously there are a lot of great movies, but music, at least singing sort of stuff, isn't really featured. This movie has a has a great sort of respect for me Mexican culture. Yeah. Like, I, I learned things when I watched this movie about Dio de los Muertos, which is obviously the Day of the Dead. You know, I was aware of that, but I didn't know about, like, the ofrenda where you place the pictures yeah. and sort of things that you remember from your ancestors right. or the uh, alabrijas, the sort of <laughs> mythical Day of the Dead, like, an spirit animals. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I think American culture you know, doesn't honor the dead in the ways that, I mean, we do, but in different ways, but other cultures, I think that takes more precedence. Well, especially the Mexican culture, for sure. Right, they have a whole, you know, Dia de los Muertos yeah, is a I mean, whole holiday. Obviously, this idea of ancestry and sort of passing yeah. things on is really huge in the Mexican culture. I think this is a, is a movie that, when you're watching it with your family, we've often called these movies family films, not kid films. This movie really sort of deals with the concept of death in a unique way, and I think it's a movie that could really... Um, you know, open up some unique conversations between parents and kids about death and sort of what it means, especially if you're Mexican and, and you sort of believe in this sort of way of doing it. Um, it it's easily one of my top 10 favorite animated films of all time. It, it's wow. really, really great. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been singing the song since I saw it, so uh, 8 out of 10 for me. Wow. Uh, day, oh, yeah. Uh, so I mean, Coco. loving Coco there. Well, and like music's really easy to relate to. Everyone, you know, we kind of, music brings people together, brings cultures yeah. together. Um and to kind of go off, piggyback off what you were saying, Champ, it really shows like how um, families like shelter their children, but without like giving away why they're doing it because they don't really want to hurt them or, you know. Yeah, I wish I'd seen it because obviously you you know, be. I would be able to chime in a little bit more, but I certainly will. I don't even think you have to tell someone whether or not you recommend a Disney Pixar. I mean, you should see all of them. They're all worth mm -hmm. seeing. They're they're they just have it down. I mean, we we talked yeah. about it la or 2 weeks ago when we did yeah. when we ran down our Pixar films. They have the formula down and they just know how to make movies with such great heart, but they're also well made with relatable characters and and fun stories and fun worlds like uh Coco. I wish I would have seen it before I made my top 10 list last year because it it might have cracked it. Wow. Well, the colors are just, you know, like you said too was just so the visuals yeah I'll, I'll have to check that one out hey that transitions well to mine guys i've actually got a couple but quickly i wanted to mention we just talked about our pixar films and up i watched up again and uh, my wife had never seen up and i just wanted to quickly mention because we've already talked about it a couple weeks yep. ago i cried again and she she cried i mean it's such a heartfelt story the the relationship between uh our main character and his wife such a great film. And there's another Disney movie that I haven't seen yet. I've never seen Hercules, a 1997 Disney film. Of course, it's it's well known. And I was I was flipping through uh, Netflix the other day, and it was on Netflix. And I thought, I've never seen this, so I wanted to check it out. And uh, this was directed by John Musker and Ron Clements, kind of a team there. Uh, they've also done Aladdin, uh, The Little Mermaid, and also Moana. Um, but what I thought was interesting about this film and uh, this Disney film is I liked it. You know, it wasn't my favorite. Uh, it wasn't my favorite among Pixar or among the more traditional animation uh, films that Disney has put out. But what I thought was what was really interesting is it almost seemed to cater more so uh, than the other Disney uh, original animations to um, kind of an adult audience. I thought there were... You know, and Disney's done a good job of that, especially with what they've come put out lately. But there were 
so many jokes, so many, uh, you know, conversations that were had that I remember thinking like, you know, I thought it was funny. I thought it was a good movie, but I thought, you know, kids would not get this at all. Um, and I thought that Hercules played to the adult audience maybe a little bit more than some of the other Disney films of that time. What about you guys? Did you see Hercules? Did you? I mean, I'm sure you did. Yeah, I mean, I mean a long, long, time ago, long time ago. I think yeah. most of probably what you're talking about is the character of Hades. He yeah. has a lot of, like, witty, sort of dry humor. James Woods. Yeah, yeah, that would that sort of, he, you know, like, makes fun of himself and sort of talks in a goofy way. Yeah. And that humor isn't really going to resonate with kids, but it'll definitely resonate with uh, an adult audience. My favorite thing about Hercules is that main sort of song the it's like a uh, sort of like ringing horn ballad yeah. it's i love that song so much it's great i love the two witty little sidekicks of hades those guys crack <laughs> me up there's always those two little you know like timon and puma oh, yeah. lion oh, king yeah. but yeah those are my favorites yeah list. i mean it was good you know i think i ended up giving it uh, like a seven you know I, I i i really liked it it was it was good disney's done so much good work and they've created so many amazing films that it's not up there, but it, you know, like with all Disney movies, it's a, it's good, it's worth seeing. Do you it, think so. you would have perceived it different if you would have watched it when it first came out, compared or even like before all these other Disney movies came out? Yeah, you know, I think that. Uh, well, I think you know, if I would have seen it back then, I was a kid, I probably would have perceived it yeah, much differently. True. But yeah. it just goes to show Disney movies stand the test of time. Whether you're a kid, whether you're an adult. You enjoy them, and, and right. I enjoyed it. It was fun. We've had a very Disney uh, I know. show. We should we should Jeez probably uh, move off the Disney here for a little bit, guys. It's, it's hard like, to though. Are we trying to appeal to thirteen <laughs> no, year olds here? I, I, well, I know, I know. We did the Pixar thing last week mm. or a couple weeks ago, and now we're talking about what we've seen. But one more thing I want to mention um, before I see if you guys have anything else: HBO's Westworld comes out in two weeks. Ooh, I got to rewatch the first season, and that was one of my favorite series that i think i've ever seen the first season was yeah. incredible well don't spoil i won't the first dive season. into it too much yeah. we'll talk about it a lot more once once it's released yeah. but that's coming out in a couple weeks for westworld fans i guess we'll move on now we uh we're talking throwback theater that's our next segment today uh and we're diving back two decades 20 years uh, this segment pretty self-explanatory we're going to talk about one movie we really liked and would recommend from 1998, and then one movie we maybe didn't like or was disappointing or was, in my case, maybe a little overrated. Uh, so let's start with you, Champ. 1998, I mean, when I came up with this year for this, I, I knew immediately what film you were going to pick. So we'll give you the chance to talk about one of your favorite films of all time. Well, we're about to talk about uh, Ready Player One in a little bit, which was obviously directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, I'm going to bring up another one of Steven Spielberg's movies, and that's Saving Private Ryan from 1998. Uh, this film garnered 11 Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Tom Hanks, uh, also, screenplay, cinematography, art direction, sound mixing, film editing, sound effects editing, makeup, and best original score. Um, it won uh, for best director um, and cinematography, sound mixing, film editing, and sound effects editing. Um, this is a war film. Obviously, tells the story of a squad of soldiers going to rescue um, uh, Private Ryan, who had three other brothers fighting in World War II, and they all died. And as per war procedure back then... Um, when that happens, they obviously don't want one family losing all of their kids, so they bring them home. Um, this is a, a revolutionary film in terms of technique that sort of redefined the war genre. Um, I mean, everyone, most people who have seen Saving Private Ryan, the first thing that's going to come to mind is the opening scene on Omaha Beach 
Spielberg and his cinematographer used sort of like a GoPro-like point of view technique, which hadn't really been done before, where you're huh. putting us in the shoes of the soldiers that are sort of attacking the beach. So we're we're going above water and below water. We're looking up at the German guns firing down. Um, it's 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 unflinchingly violent the whole movie really right. but this first scene is one that's some of the most realistic war film shots that i've ever seen in a movie to this day um, and, and what's crazy is that's only the first 25 minutes of the movie <laughs> there's still two plus hours of movie left even after that happens um, there's an it's an amazing lead performance by tom hanks as i said he was nominated for best actor uh, he plays sort of the captain of this unit that goes to save uh, private ryan who is played by matt damon there's amazing moral questions that sort of deal with uh, questioning the purpose of World War II and why soldiers are there. Um, you know, they're following their orders that they think is uh, foobar, <laughs> as they say in the movie, um, since the whole squad is risking their butts to save one guy. Um, but, but by the end of the film, they sort of come to realize, you know, why they're doing it. And I, I'm just going to read a quote from, it's my favorite quote of the movie. It's spoken by Tom Sizemore, who plays Sergeant Horvath, and he says in the movie, I don't know. Part of me thinks the kid's right. He asks what he's done to deserve this. He wants to stay here. Fine. Let's leave him and go home. But then another part of me thinks, what if by some miracle we stay and actually make it out of here? Someday we might look back on this and decide that saving Private Ryan was the one decent thing we were able to pull out of this whole god-awful shitty mess. Like you said, Captain, maybe if we do that, we all earn the right to go home. And I think that, that, that line sort of sums up the whole idea of the movie. Um, when people ask me what my favorite film of all time is, I tell them Saving Private Ryan. Wow. I mean, <laughs> so I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this at this juncture, especially because it's one of Jam's favorites. I've never seen this movie. It's one of the, one of those top three or four movies that I have not seen. There's a few, but... I'm, I'm about ready to cancel this podcast and say we I need know. to go watch Saving Private Ryan right now. Well, let me ask you this. How did it not win Best Picture? How did Tom Hanks not win Best Actor? Well, obviously it garnered a lot of awards. Uh, Shakespeare in Love took home Best Picture that year in, in 1998, which I haven't seen, so I have to be, you know, I have to be and admit that. But this is often considered one of the biggest sort of Oscar upsets. Sure. How did Shakespeare in Love beat Saving Private Ryan? And it's not just me saying that. So my question for you, because obviously, I mean, this is a big deal. You've seen hundreds and hundreds of movies it's your favorite movie of all time this is my one question obviously it's a war epic it's very long but obviously in your mind the whatever two and a half three hour runtime it it, it it doesn't drag or there aren't points where it seems like it drags some people might say that it does because there are a lot of sort of long downtime periods when there's conversations in between the squads happening but if you really listen to what they're talking about mm -hmm. it's such a unique sort of um, idea and discussion on war and what soldiers in war. I mean, I've never been in war, but I could imagine, and I've heard veterans talk about this movie, about how they talk about it's such a realistic portrayal of what it's like and what it's like when you're in these places and talking about what you're doing and how you think it's BS, but you're doing it because it's your orders. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's a, a, a solid theme that runs through the whole thing. There's bookends that sort of take place. Um, in a different time period that sort of helped wrap the whole thing together. Um, it's, a, it's a great movie. Yeah, I mean, it's easy for a war film to have a lot of action and gunshots and explosions, but from the sounds of it, it's what happens in between the dialogue, the conversation, the characters. That's, uh, that's Saving Private Ryan, Champ's film from 98 mm -hmm. and favorite film of all time. So, Sam, how about you? 
What's your film that you really liked that you'd recommend from 1998? Well, just like Champ had a big week last week, I sort of had a, I'd say a mini week compared to him. Um, we won our bowling league. It was a 30... 30-week venture. 30-week bowling league? Hey, it's, a, it's a long oh week. Gosh. Or it's a long league. It's like but, more than uh, half a year. I mean, just to be able to win it, you know. Hey, just, congratulations. Hey, you know, so in, in, in a sense, that's why I wanted to tie this movie in from 98, which is The Big Lebowski. Um, the Big Lebowski, you know, stars the dude. It's, he's more of an attitude than it is a storyline, because the plot of this movie is just absurd. The guy gets his rug peed on, and he seeks revenge. So, okay. I mean... He, you know, the dude is played by Jeff Bridges. He's um, inspired by an uh, annual convention, or inspired an annual convention in the Church of the Latter-day Dude. I mean, literally, like, a wow. movie has sparked so much... Cult following, for sure. Holy oh, yeah. cow. You know, unreal. Um, you know, John Goodman and Steve Buscemi. I always got to find someone I can't pronounce. I know. Um, Co-stars the dude's bowling partners, since it takes place in, you know, a bowling alley. Um, the, and, you know... He actually made the White Russian famous for me. Once I saw this movie, he was always carrying around. It's kind of like Trailer Park Boys when, uh, um, what's his name, Julian carries around a glass and he's always got a whiskey Coke in it. Well, the dude always has a White Russian. Why he drinks a White Russian, I have no idea. Um, but essentially, it's just about these guys that hang out at the bowling alley, single, um, you know, single guys that bowl and just get drunk and hang out and... <laughs> Live a life that, like, we you all have that. Yeah, we have this, like, one friend that, you know, everyone has a dude friend. Just day by day, lives by day. Um, I just really enjoy the movie. It's really funny. There's really not a plot you have to follow too seriously, so you can kind of get the kick and the humor. Yeah. And then the dude's persona, like I said plenty of times already, it just brings so much to light and, like, brings, it just makes the movie. So just a ton of laughs. That's your main thing. Oh, absolutely. Bunch of laughs. And plus, it had that little bowling feel and. How many movies are there about the bowling alley? You know, guys that bowl, and a lot of the movie is actually shot with the bowling alley. So it's it does have a lot of ties to the bowling alley. So mm, all right, um, Champ and I haven't seen it. So it's it definitely. Means, I'm ashamed to admit that I haven't I know, seen it. Man, it's, I'm it's, striking out with 98 be. films. It's a big. It's definitely. I, I mean, I know about it. I know. Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, my my soon-to-be father-in-law. Wow, that feels weird. I know The Big Whoa. Lebowski is uh, one of uh, his favorite movies. Wait, so. wait a minute. If I can remember correctly, as I was Champ's roommate for you know, some time, I actually think it's recorded. I think it is. I think I'm the one that recorded it, but he might have pulled the old no space, <laughs> no room. What a so, jerk. He's controlling the DVR space. I would, love, just I would love to look into it because I'm pretty sure I recorded it. I control it. the DVR with an iron fist. <laughs> oh, jeez, of course. All right, well, if we don't get oh. moving on here, Champ's going to put the hammer down on this podcast. So I'm going to I'm gonna jump next to uh, my uh, recommendation. Maybe, since I haven't seen some of the others, maybe my favorite film of 1998, The Truman Show. So... The Truman Show, directed by Peter Weir. Uh, the main uh, crux of this is is you've got Jim Carrey in the performance of his life. Perhaps he's uh, he's an insurance salesman, and he discovers in his I would say what he's in his forties. He discovers thirties or forties that his entire life has been a reality TV show. The place that he lives, the town he lives, the people he lives with. His wife, everybody involved in his world 
are all actors. His wife's an actor, his best friend's an actor, everybody's an actor. The town that he lives in is actually this massive television set, essentially. And for Jim Carrey, who prior to this point was known as a slapstick comedian, we're talking Ace Ventura, Liar Liar, <laughs> just some dumb movies, funny but dumb, this was... Perhaps the performance of his career. Yeah. I know people liked Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but this, I think he won a Golden Globe. He was nominated for many other awards. And uh, he drives this film. And it's just such a unique concept. It's an original story. It was nominated for original screenplay. And uh, I just remember watching this and thinking, you know, I mean, this is this is Jim Carrey showing what he can do as an actor beyond and outside of just the dumb comedies that we're used to. And just the concept in general, it's funny. Um, you know, he discovers through people from the outside world that he is indeed in a reality TV show. The whole show is based on him. And then they're trying to reach him and he figures it out and he's trying to escape and get to the outside world and find his lost love and... I just thought this movie was amazing. Um, you talk about films that lack character development. It's often an issue and a peg that I hit with films that I don't like. I mean, I thought Jim Carrey was amazing uh, in this film uh, as, as Truman, uh, Truman Burbank. This was a pretty big film in its day. I mean, it was nominated for three Oscars and, uh, and a, huge, a huge recommendation coming from me. That's The Truman Show from 1998. All right, champ. Let's get to 98, a film that you, you either you don't like or it was disappointing or overrated, you know, something in that vein. Well, I have a feeling my co-hosts are going to be mad at me for this one, but it's uh, Basketball. Oh, my God. Uh, directed by David Zucker. Um, <laughs> I know this has a cult following, but, but this movie sucks. Uh, oh, God. Th this is a sports comedy <laughs> starring South Park creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Uh, which is amazing to me because South Park is pretty funny and this movie is not funny. You're biased. Uh, the the opening montage of like pro athletes being like so full themselves that they refuse to play anymore is kind of funny um, because it's sort of like mocking athletes who are a bunch of spoiled brats for the most part. Um, but once it starts, it's just dumb. The humor isn't funny to me. It's lowbrow. It's it's sort of like like I get what it's going for. It's going for that sort of like spoof movie that sort of takes a sport that's not or a game that's pretty dumb and tries to make treat it serious um but i feel like dodgeball which came out six years later has sort of the same idea and it does it way better there's actual genuine comedy along with that sort of lowbrow stuff that i just find funny i mean it, the point of a comedy is to make you laugh, and this just didn't. The two people that made me laugh most in this movie are Al Michaels and Bob Costas, hmm. and that's saying something. So, hey. like, I just didn't. Maybe it's just not for me. I did not get it. Okay, so nobody. I don't. I don't think anybody. Right? Any, anybody? Maybe Sam. I certainly don't look at it as a great movie. Um, I, I think I view it more as kind of a dumb comedy that generates a few laughs here and there. I think, and I'm a big South Park fan. I think the beauty of South Park is that. There is some of that lowbrow humor, but they they have an incredible amount of social commentary throughout South Park's many seasons. Where was the social commentary in basketball? Yeah. No, I, it's I, not funny. Yeah, no, There's I, not look, even anything clever in it. I'm not going to be the guy who dies on the, the rock defending basketball. Sam will. <laughs> Go <laughs> ahead. I just think that you're taken away from, like, I think that's the point, is that it's not supposed to be overly, like, comedic and everything we all have been there where we've been playing backyard sports and we get sick of playing the traditional basketball 
baseball, soccer, that we come up with our own little little game, you know, to, you know, just fit our fancy, you know, get the neighborhood kids around and do something different. That, and that's fine. The game itself of basketball is funny. Like, that's fine. The invented game is funny. And, like, how the, it turns into a whole big league is okay, whatever. That's kind of interesting. I just feel like the execution around that was not funny. There were some scenes in particular that were a little overkill. <laughs> uh, I'll just say uh, there's a scene where someone gets sprayed with milk on the... I mean, come on, there's I mean, like stupid I mean, slapstick oh, there's, there's stupid slapstick stuff. There's slapstick comedy, and this is like Dude. beyond slapstick. Not funny. I Moving mean, on, we've wasted enough time on this right, stupid All right, <laughs> The beers are not a fan for champ. All right, uh, how about you? Do you got one, Sam? You I got... mean, 1998, I don't really have anything that's like... You're not going to jump on the like stand basketball out. bandwagon as a hater. <laughs> no, I mean... I don't. I just don't That's like right. Godzilla. Was disappointing to me. Like I didn't really like it. Yeah. But I don't think I can say that okay. it was like a bad 1998. But I just don't have a film that I would stick out to me that says I did not like it. All right. Well, Sam was can... Sam was 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 so infatuated with basketball <laughs> that every well, no. movie he watched for the rest of that year just couldn't be bad. Well, I was just gonna say if Sam didn't think basketball was, or if he thought it was great, he didn't have a bad film from '98. So. All right. Anyways, we're short on time. Anyways, so all right, skipping all right. to Dean. Uh, so my the film I picked for '98. It's not that I didn't like it. I think it's because I consider it to be a bit overrated when you think back on this film. And it's The Waterboy, Adam Sandler film. And I actually am, one of my fantasy football teams is named after the team in this film. Let me think about it. The SCLSU Mud Dogs. <laughs> the, uh, the South Central Louisiana State University Mud Dogs. All right, so anyway, I don't need to dive into the plot. Everybody knows what Waterboy is about. I just think that you know, growing up after having seen it and talking to friends about it, and there's so many fun quotable lines, so many, you know, goofy uh, spots in the film that you remember and that you can quote and that you can joke about. But if you actually go back and watch the movie, especially now that we're a little bit older, Champ said it with basketball, there are some really, really dumb scenes. Um, and and I, so I just think that, you know, growing up, you think, oh, that's a great comedy. Oh, Big Daddy, great comedy. Happy Gilmore, great comedy. And Adam Sandler's films, while growing up and as a younger kid, I thought that they were hilarious. Now that I'm older and I've seen those again, those are the films, Adam Sandler films are ones that watching it again as, as, as I'm older now, I've changed my opinion of a little bit. I don't know if you guys agree. At I all. still think there's, but unlike basketball, I still think that there's like quotable things in Waterboy that people still say all the time, like you know, like water sucks, Gatorade's better, or the 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 Colonel Sanders scenes when he's in the classroom. Like there's certain Joe Montana was a quarterback, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, like there's there's I certain... know, and that's fun. And it's to just... me, that Waterboy is still culturally relevant. Sure. And so, are, and maybe it's because we all have this sort of misguided memories of how funny Adam Sandler was in his prime. But I do think there are some legitimate laughs. Yeah. yeah I do, too. I do, too. I guess what I'm saying is that I think that it it's a movie that, you know, with most Adam Sandler movies as a kid, I thought he was hilarious. And you go back and you actually watch the full movie, and while there are some good quotes and some good lines you can pull, it's really dumb comedy. Well, you know, for me, Dean, 
Vicky Valancourt showed me her boobies, and I like them too. <laughs> we will end it on that note. You're wrong, Evan Dean. <laughs> Mom was right. <laughs> well, Mama don't oh, know, won't hurt her. <laughs> well, Mama says football is for the devil. <laughs> stupid. Mama says happiness comes from golden rays of sunshine that come down when you're feeling blue. <laughs> well, Mama says alligators are so ornery because they got all them teeth, teeth and no toothbrush. <laughs> well, guess what? Mama's wrong again. You're wrong, Colonel Sanders. Mama's right. <laughs> All right, guys, now it's time to get to our feature review on this Wednesday, the 11th of April. We're talking about the sci-fi action-adventure Ready Player One. My name's Wade Watts. My dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego, like Peter Parker or Bruce Banner. But he died when I was a kid, my mom too. And I ended up here, sitting here in my tiny corner of nowhere, there's nowhere left to go. Nowhere. Except the Oasis. A whole virtual universe. So this film, directed by a familiar name in film, Steven Spielberg picture. Uh, this uh, stars Ty Sheridan, Olivia Cook, Ben Mendelsohn, and uh, a few others. And, and not a, a huge star-studded cast here. A lot of people you've probably never seen or have seen uh, infrequently in, in the world of film. Um, but this movie, guys, uh, like I said, it's, it's a sci-fi film. The Description from IMDb, I'll give it to you right here. When the creator of a virtual reality world called the Oasis dies, he releases a video in which he challenges all Oasis users to find his Easter egg, which will give the finder his fortune. Not just his fortune, it will give the finder the creator of the Oasis. And we learn pretty quickly on, uh, I should mention this takes place in 2045, mm -hmm. our main character... He's in Columbus, Ohio, and it's kind of this uh, dystopian world, this future where um, people spend more time in virtual reality than they do in the real world. Uh, anything else, Champion, that the people who haven't seen it need to know kind of about the central plot? No, that's pretty much the setup. I mean, the story goes on from there. Anyone who's seen the, the trailer knows that there's sort of this big action-packed uh, race that sort of is part of the beginning film um but, but what i love from the moment that the first shot comes on the screen is this is we realize we're going to be in for a treat visually um we're obviously not in the oasis as we start we're in sort of uh what's called the columbus stacks which is sort of like uh this deteriorated overcrowded slum of trailers that are sort of on top of each other yeah. uh in columbus ohio um so we we know that this is going to be a fun movie visually and then once we get into the oasis it's it's amazing it's a it's a super fun uh sort of has a it's sort of a unique adventure that we go on that um sort of has spielberg's footprints all over it i mean i sort of when i was watching this movie i sort of felt like it was sort of like an amalgamation of like et and minority report because we kind of had like a group of kids going on in sort of an adventure and are sort of going out on this dangerous mission but it's set in sort of this like sort of unsettling high-tech world. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good way to run it down. I, I agree. Sam, what about you? What do you think about this? You know, when you saw this, uh, before we get to the spoilers, mm -hmm. um, what did you think about this movie? 
Well, I went on Friday, like you said. There was a big buzz on Tuesday. I just could not wait any longer. I had to go. Plus, Friday was a boring day for me. So figured I'd go check out the film. Packed theater, though. Um, the theater was full. Typically on a Friday, usually is. But uh, I really like the visuals of the movie, um, the storyline. Um, I was I was engaged. That's one thing I like to base my you know review on the most is if I was engaged throughout the whole movie. Was I tempted to pull out my phone? You know, not not that I do, but like, or did I want to go up and go to the bathroom or refill my drink, or did I want to stay in suspense and watch the whole flick? Um, those are kind of things that run through my mind. And this yeah. one, I was really engaged um, through the whole film. Um, obviously there were some things that maybe some didn't like and some did like more. Um, but for me, I really enjoyed it. And like I said, I was, uh, a hundred percent engaged to the whole movie. Didn't even leave. And when you say engaged, I mean, we're not, we're talking about a two hour and 20 minute movie here. Right. So it's one that if it wasn't it capturing, didn't feel that way. if it was one that wasn't, wasn't capturing your attention, then maybe you would be tempted to like, look at your phone or, or do something oh, like yeah. that. Um, you know. It was just, uh, it was interesting the whole way through. What did you think, just generally, Andy? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think one thing I really liked is, and I think the best way to describe this film is it was just a lot of fun. It was just a fun movie to watch, fast-paced, good humor, visuals were amazing, loaded, loaded with pop culture references that uh, people who were growing up in the 80s or 90s or any time when video games were coming to be would just love. Uh, and you've got this world where, like I said, you know, the real world is dark and depressing and people have this oasis, this video game virtual reality where they can be anything they want to be. And it's really cool. Uh, I think one of the things about this film is that right when I left the theater, I loved it. I thought it was great. And when you start to think on it a little bit more, that's when you start to notice the, where you can knock it down a few pegs. But in, while watching it, while enjoying it, I really thought it was great. And like you said, Sam, kept me engaged throughout. Mm -hmm. And I really like this film. Uh, I, anything that you guys didn't like that we can talk about before spoilers? Uh, there's there's not honestly not a ton that I can talk about before spoilers. I definitely have some gripes with it. Um, and I'll get into those a little bit more uh, in a little bit. It's it's sort of, um, in general terms, a few more things. You, you brought up the avatars, um, how they could just be anyone. You know, we, we have the, the Iron Giant that everyone sees in the trailers. Um, you know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There's the Halo dudes. I mean, it's just, it's so fun to oh. be watching this movie. And sort of everywhere you look, there's sort of a character from pop culture. And because of that reason, I feel like the rewatchability of the movie will be really good. Yeah. Because when you're looking at these big action set pieces that are in the movie, yeah. I think everywhere you look on the screen, you'll see a character or something that you didn't notice before. Well, as I think, yeah, like you're saying there too, Champ, is that um, we talked a lot about um, while we were younger, when we watched movies like The Waterboy when we were younger. I think this has really to, to relate with us a lot because of all that younger pulp culture that, you know, we grew up with is all in one, like, screen. Yeah. And, um... It, Jumping around everywhere. It's like a seamless, like, fun parade of, <laughs> yeah. of characters that we know from growing up. Uh, mm -hmm. Performance-wise, you mentioned there's not a ton of big names, you know, uh, decent names, but uh, really? one person that I felt like that stuck out was Mark Rylance. Yeah, um, he who, is a big name, who, and I, I should have mentioned him. I mean, Academy Award winner for another Spielberg for yep. film, Bridge of Spies. He was also great in Dunkirk. He created the OS. Right, he plays the guy who sort of created it. He's playing this sort of like nerdy, quirky video game genius yeah. who sort of speaks in like a strange cadence. But as we progress through the film, he sort of really does a good job of coming off as sort of sincere... And not just crazy, as he's, he's like a 
a closeted nerd who means to contribute to society but sort of loses his way maybe a little bit. I just think that he, his performance really does well. And um, the two other characters, um, you mentioned you hadn't really seen him in anything before, but uh, Olivia Cook, uh, I remember seeing her in the series Bates Motel. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, Lena Waithe, who plays H., uh, yeah. is in uh, Master of None as okay. well. So, All right. so of, some people who have been in some stuff before, but really in terms of film, we haven't really seen them. What before. about the the, uh, the the CEO of um, one? What is it? One zero one. IOI. IOI. Yeah, I-O-I. Ben Mendelsohn. He's been in. Yeah, he's, he's a, a he's he, a famous. I recognized actor. him when he I always, saw. Him, I but. mentioned it when he came on screen. He always seems to be like this snobby Snob. asshole in yeah. every movie. Uh, he he played sort of a similar role in a different mm-hmm. capacity in Rogue One. That just came out not so, too long ago. Before we get to spoilers, I just wanted to get to a couple criticisms I had. I think they're pretty generic. Uh, very lack of a limited character development. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought the final third drags on a little bit. I, I really thought the best scenes were in the Oasis, not when we're actually in the real world. However, I will say that those criticisms aren't enough for me to discourage anybody from seeing this. I think my one question is... What about the older generations who didn't grow up in video games? What about those who aren't going to get the references scattered throughout? We did. I loved those. I just don't know if it would appeal to that audience. That's the one thing I'm wondering. Like, how big of a video game guy are you, Dean? Like, I mean, are you... You indulge very much into the video game yeah, life, but like, it, but the thing is, it's not even just video games. I mean, we have references from pop culture right. here from I the agree. '60s all the way up until 2000s. I mean, I it's a it was very a little wide more focused on the '80s and '90s, though. It mm-hmm. is with the, because it's yeah. supposed to be about the creator who has this love of the start of video games and whatnot. But there, there's stuff in here yeah. that that stretches many years, and even if you're not into that, you could be into like the visuals or sure, something like sure. that. Sure, no, I agree. I agree. I just am saying those were things that for me made the movie great, and I love this movie. Yeah. Those made it great. Uh, I don't know if everybody's going to get those, but for our generation, it was spot. But from a general standpoint, like Sam said, it's just a fun movie to watch, Absolutely. and definitely one that you should see on the biggest screen possible. So if you yes. have a chance, it's, it's only been in theaters uh, about just over a week now. So if you have a chance, make sure you go to the theaters and see this because these scenes just won't have the same impact on your screen at home as they will in a theater. Yeah. All right, guys. Now it's time to get to our spoilers. If you haven't seen it and you want to see it, click out now. Jump in at the end of the show. Champ Scott kind of the time, time stamps that can show you where to get to uh, if you're listening on our website. Um, so, uh, guys, I guess let's just jump right in here. Um, our main character, uh, Parcival, he, he's basically fighting against this big corporation to win the game. And um, obviously we know he ends up succeeding. And, and some of the themes of the movie start to come out there. Um, talking about friendship and isolating yourself, so on and so forth. So, Champa, uh, what did you think? Uh, and anything that you want to talk about specifically with what we learn later in the movie? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I think the message is cool. Me and Sam were talking about this earlier. The, the sort of message of, and this is really applicable to, de- to today, and obviously this takes place in the future, is what is the role of, of technology and how is it sort of affecting social interaction amongst the public 
You know, there's a lot of people who feel that people are on their phones too much or they're on social media too much. And even though that social media and these phones give us the ability to connect each other, it's actually driving us farther away because we're not able to have a face-to-face conversation. And what we find out in the end is that, uh, you know, when Parsifal and his crew, I think they call them the high five, when they take over, uh, uh, when they end up taking over the Oasis, is that they ban it on Tuesdays and Thursdays because they feel that reality is real it's it's what people should stay out of the oasis and that's sort of a cool message of you know live in the moment be with the people you're with yeah you know i think that uh like i said i thought when i started to think about this movie a little bit more i started to knock it down i could start to knock it down a few pegs but i had so much fun during the film Uh, i I did think the, the final third as i said dragged just a just a tiny touch. If I'm being super mm-hmm. critical, it dragged a little, little bit. But yeah, we learned uh, Holiday. Holiday, his biggest regret is is cutting off his partner from the Oasis in his business, and he was all alone. He he basically turned on his only friend. And what we learn through the the main characters who win this challenge together is that yeah, they end up staying together. They end up owning the Oasis together, and they kind of come to realize, yeah, you know. Um, obviously, you know, there's some struggles in the real world, but, um, we need to live in the real world more than we are. You can't just live mm-hmm. in a fantasy world and not face life head on. I, I think sort of just, it's sort of a, a morphed, uh, idea from it, but I think there's some idea of sort of like, uh, individuality and sort of being yourself versus like sort of conformity in like the big yeah. machine. Because if you look at it, you know, the, the, the so-called, you know, all the people can have their unique avatars when when they're in the world, or as when IOI or whatever, when they're in the world, they they're all look robots, the same. Yeah. They're just like robots. And I think there's some symbolism in that. There's obviously the idea of like so-called nerds, you know, that are escaping into, into the Oasis because they can't. It's the only place that they can connect with people. There's all this talk about... Um, you know, I don't look like this in real life, or I'm not what you expect. Yeah, you know I what? Was say that. Yep. She has the birthmark. Uh, yep. uh, Artemis's character has the birthmark, and I think that it's sort of a, an interesting take on you know how people are doing this to try and fit in, but really they don't need to. They can just be themselves in the real world, and there's some cool ideas up from that standpoint. Well, and what was her name? Um, the uh, the guy that drove the big monster truck. The was is H. that it's H. Turns out to be you know. A girl. A girl. When he, (laughs) you know, not to say anything about her being a girl or anything, but, like, she was the mechanic. She could fix everything. She built Iron Giant. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's just to tie into what you were saying there that you can be whoever you want. Yeah, no, that's really cool themes. My one question is, and this is really important to mention, this is based on a book, a novel written in 2011 by Ernest Klein, and none of us have read it. So what I'm wondering as I'm watching the film, knowing it's based on a book, is I'm wondering, did they explore certain themes more in the book? Specifically, um, you know, you've got this dystopian society where the real world kind of sucks. We don't see much good happening in the real world. People live in trailers and live online through their virtual reality. And also, big corporations kind of own people through their video game debts. I, I wondered if that had been explored. I wonder if there were certain themes about societal structure that maybe was explored more in, in the film ultimately though i will say this uh, i kind of thought from the film perspective i thought you know what that's kind of a tired theme to this point we've seen it mm-hmm. we've seen these dystopian societies where the the corporations own people and they're trying to rebel against 
um, you know, those who have the power and have the money. And I kind of thought at the end of the day, when, when I thought about this film, I thought, you know, it is what it is. I didn't dive that deeply into some of the themes that maybe it could, but those have been kind of played out. And I thought it was just a ton of fun. And, you know, maybe there wasn't as much character development. They didn't tie in themes as much as they could. But I was okay with it because I had so much fun throughout this movie. I think they focused more on the sort of human themes than sort of those big societal things. I think it was more about human interaction, relationships, sort of accepting, you know, people for who they are and sort of what they are trying to do. Um, I do agree underdeveloped characters is sort of an issue in this movie. Other than Wade... Uh, uh, Parsible and Samantha, who is Artemis, um, who sort of gets a backstory with like the death of their parents. The character development is pretty poor. I mean, we have like the generic, greedy corporate villain um, who's played by Ben Mendelsohn. We've seen that before. Uh, there's the Irock, the bounty hunter, who we never even meet in real life. He's just sort of like his minion for unknown reasons. T.J. Uh, Miller voices yeah, him. Yeah, we have uh, the uh, the the female henchman. Who I don't even know if we get her. It's like it's, uh, she does nothing. Whenever she's, you can name someone a henchman, it means their character wasn't developed. Well, she's just like a, a bad crony for no yeah. reason. Like, why is she following this guy? The other members of the High Five don't have much backstory. Um, so you know, the movie's fun and these characters are doing cool things on screen, but we really don't care about them that much. And that's we? what I wonder: Did the book do it a more effective job making us care? Did we learn more about them? Does the book have dive into some of those themes? What about mm-hmm. you? Did you have any like obvious knocks, things you didn't like about it, Sam? Um, I would agree with the whole IROC guy. I would have been cool to kind of see like because I think H made the thing, um, the comment about like, bro, you don't even know if you love her. She could be some three hundred pound guy living in Detroit. You know, like you don't know. And yeah. so it would have been cool to see IROC like. When he gets to meet some of the crew and the kid goes, what, is it because I'm 11? It would have yeah. been nice to see like how he fits in in the real world. Right. Maybe he just lives somewhere else and he's just, not involved. I guess that's an interesting but idea. Just an idea. Yeah. Like, And how did he even become like the like what you said, the bounty hunter? How What relationship did he have to this guy? Oh, he was just going to pay him a certain amount of money and give him unlimited supplies. and Which, I mean, yeah. I guess you could. That would be suitable reason, but we don't really know. A couple other questions. Just quick gripes that I had. Um, I think there's maybe a little bit of an issue with sort of the way that, like, gamers or nerds are sort of portrayed. Um, it, it sort of seems like this archaic notion that, like, like people who play games who are nerds, like, can't talk to real people or, like, the nerdy crush person. Because, like, today in 2018, like, nerd culture is basically cool. With mm-hmm. comics and superheroes and Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Like, this stuff is cool in mainstream. So yes, there's the the sect of nerdy people who don't talk to anyone and can't talk to anyone, but I don't think that re- necessarily represents everyone. But I thought this movie kind of made that stuff cool. You're right, it is cool, and I thought this movie went a long way. It's already to make cool it. in today's society. Most I agree. things aren't considered nerdy anymore. No, but I think in some ways the movies highlighted it and made it made it cool. Made, you know, like I acknowledge that it is cool and it's popular and it's fun. Yeah, but just I guess like the way that uh, you know the founder was Halliday was portrayed as yeah. like this super dweeb who could yeah. never talk to anyone, or you know, I think some of the other characters in the movie are portrayed that way. It's it's a minor thing. I just yeah. feel like it, it sort of groups them all into one clump, which is kind of something you want to avoid. Right. That's true. You're I, right, and I do think, though, generally, it played good homage to gamers and video games and games through the years. Alright, and then just one last little gripe I had is that I do wonder how much they actually solved with saving the Oasis. Like, there's this whole tagline throughout the whole thing, save the Oasis, save the world. 
the film ends with sort of this upbeat, happy tone, and and it's just sort of like the yeah, it's great that you save the oasis and you're making this more fair, but the real world they live in still seems kind of shitty. So how much did they actually solve? Is, yeah, is my only question. Well, and and, I, and we you talked about it. I said I thought the final third dragged. I don't know if maybe that's the best way to describe it. I just felt like it didn't wrap up or it wasn't as conclusive. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if saying it dragged was the best way to describe it, but I felt like there was a little... I was wanting a little bit more no with the final us. third, whether it was the pace or whether it was the conclusion. Um, you know, yeah, I agree with you. It didn't quite wrap up as tidy. And they made a point to make this as tidy a film as can be. You've got the overt narration throughout most of it they want to make it easy to consume and understand and i felt like the end it was some some loose strings so maybe some issues at the end but i feel like most of the ride there we liked yeah yeah well i mean but especially with saying that like i really really dove in and i was 100 percent fully on board with the whole storyline the idea of playing a game to win this guy's fortune and to take over the oasis and like kind of piggybacking again off what you said there about the whole um, is it actually a better that they saved the Oasis? I feel like we haven't seen 2045 yet, obviously, but I feel like we're on pace to have like an Oasis of our own with video games and technology. Like It won't be as in- intricate as it is there or fully in- involved in-, in depth, but I feel like we're on our way to like something very similar. Like We're close. Yeah, and, and that's why I mentioned earlier, I said, did the book explore these themes more? Could they have explored them more? Chant made the point... What is the world? What does the world look like? What's the yeah. real world look like? Because we spend so much time in this fun virtual reality world. What's the current state of the real world and how much does the Oasis play into it? It would have been nice to see a little bit more of the real world outside of like Columbus is basically yeah. all we see. But while we're in the Oasis, it's so much fun. Like the, um, There is just amazing visual sequences. Uh, you know, the race in the beginning, yeah. you know, the sort of massive battle at the end. What I, what I sort of liked about these huge hectic sequences is that there's a ton going on, but at the same time, there's sort of one thing we're focusing on in the center of the frame, and it doesn't seem like sort of choppy and hard to follow, which I feel like happens a lot of times in films that rely heavily on CGI. This one just felt like, a, maybe it's because we were watching it on a massive screen, and maybe it's because it's just so crystal clear, but it, it just felt like more clean. Yeah, and, and what I also like too is, I love a good mystery film, and in, in what we had in this f- film are kind of little mysteries, mini mysteries. They're unsolving and unlocking the clues to get these keys, and the way that they got to them you know, by diving into the creator of the Oasis, his history and his past. It was just such a cool story. I just thought yeah. it was, was such a stylish film. And, and one of those mysteries, uh, I loved, loved, loved the Shining sequence. Yeah. When, when we <laughs> sort of jumped into, I mean, Stanley Kubrick is, is one of my favorite directors. Evan, I know you oh, like I it too. I took an entire class in college on Right, him. so to go sort of inside the Shining and to the Overlook Hotel and sort of incorporating some of these legendary scenes from this, iconic horror flick in sort of such a fun fresh new way was really cool to see yeah that generated some of the most laughs in the entire film at least in our theater mm-hmm. um so you guys ready to wrap this up yeah let's do it all right so um i'll start with with my review um so like i said immediately after leaving the theater i loved this film thought it was a ton of fun super engaging didn't quite cleanly wrap it like i would have hoped but Again, I think it's when you think about it more, you think about it longer, you can knock it down a few pegs. But ultimately, um, 
I thought this movie, despite the lack of character development, despite the lack of exploring themes, it was so good at everything else. The visuals, the story in general, how much fun it was, how impressive um, this world is that they created. I was able to, despite in wanting to have characters that you care about, I was kind of able to forgive it. Forgive that in this film. I actually gave it an 8 out of 10. I really, really like this film. Yep, yeah, um... Agree with you, Dean. I gave it an 8 out of 10 as well. Um, I really, like I said, my biggest thing about it was the whole storyline of having to solve the mystery of a person that created such a iconic and huge um, hit. He's a trillionaire, you know. Like, um, the storyline alone, how they had to solve the puzzle. It was like a puzzle piece game um, movie for me. Um, and it was engaging, like I said. I sat through the whole thing and um, wanted to know more wanted to learn more i wanted a wikipedia holiday just to see who this guy really was obviously not nobody but um yeah it was it was a good one for me this movie is uh elite from a visual effects standpoint it has some of the it's it has some of the best stuff technically i've seen in a long time i mean it, it would be worthy of a visual effects oscar in my opinion uh down the road who knows um but it's a cool story it's an original story you know it's it's obviously based on the book but it's something that keeps us engaged the whole time you know i think we have some likable yet underdeveloped characters um but it's just so much fun like you enjoy watching it the, yeah. the action sequences seeing all these pop culture things pop in and out of the movie. Like I said, rewatchability will be great because you can sort of notice different things. Um, you know, there's some logistical issues, I guess, but overall they're enough to ignore because the movie is just such a damn good time at the theater. So I'm with you guys. I gave it an 8 too. Well, there you have it. An 8 out of 10 for Ready Player One. Sometimes, guys, you can forgive a movie of its faults when it's so good at its strengths. When its strengths are so so strong... You can forgive it. I think we're all feeling the same. All right, that's what we have for you today. Um, you know, we want to hear from you guys. This is uh, this is a podcast that is ultimately supported by the listeners, and we hope to get your input on what we're watching uh, and, and also what we see next. Champ, there's a lot of ways we want to engage with people. Yeah, we're going to be putting up a poll here uh, pretty soon. Uh, uh, there's some good options out there for us to see here in the next couple weeks, so we're going to throw a poll up there and have you guys vote on it. That's going to be on our Facebook page at Second Day Film Podcast. We're on Twitter at Second Day Film. That's all written out. Uh, we're on SoundCloud with the Second Day Film Podcast. You can email us at secondayfilm at gmail.com. Um, you can also uh, like, subscribe, uh, rate, and review on iTunes. Just go ahead and search the Second Day Film Podcast. Um, and our website is www.secondayfilm.com. That's a good spot to sort of check out uh, some of our older reviews. So, But yeah, like I said, we love the engagement. We appreciate everyone who's listened or given us a follow or just engaged or commented at all. I mean, that's kind of the key to this whole thing. So um, we're glad to be back, and we're going to try and do a few su uh, successive weeks here <laughs> instead of having need, a couple breaks. I need new things to watch, so please comment, comment, comment. All right, thanks for uh, listening today. We appreciate you as always, and we'll see you next time at the movie.